0: Hey, so we're glad you're here. As Jean-Vier was saying, it's better when you're here. And so thanks for being here. We're in a series called Abide. And basically what Abide is, is it's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And what the fruit of the Spirit is, it's what your life would look like if you gave it completely over to Jesus. If if all of your decisions, if all of your um, uh, your outlook, your kind of your point of view, if you just went after the whole God thing, your life would look like the fruit of the Spirit. And so we have those things written down. That we talk about the fact that this fruit happens naturally, that, that when we give ourselves over to God, these are the things that manifest. We say healthy lemon trees give you healthy lemons, healthy uh, orange trees give you healthy oranges, and such and such. But uh, it, it's not too confusing. But um, a healthy life with Jesus gives you these things, love and joy and peace patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the fruit, the outcome of a healthy relationship with Christ. Now, um, if you're like me, I grew up in a home where my dad, everything was rubbed some dirt on it. It didn't matter what it is. Uh, It was just basically get over over yourself. That was kind of how I was raised. I was raised in that house. So if I was crying, It was like, okay, you cried for five seconds, now can we move on, you know? Um, And that's one way to parent. Uh, I I don't know, I probably have adopted some of that myself. Uh, But anyway, uh, but that, you might have been growing up in a house like that, where it's just kind of like, hey, we can't, no crying over spilt milk, all that, you know, kind of stuff. And so when you look at the fruit of the Spirit, if you're one of those people that grew up in that type of home, or you kind of... You, like, look at love and joy and peace, and, and you're, you're kind of thinking to yourself, well, where like, what, like, real life isn't like that, right? Like, is it, can you really have love and joy and peace and patience? It kind of feels like we're almost a, a doormat. You'd be something like, uh, you know, my fruit of the Spirit is discipline and hard work, you know, because that's how those people talk all the time. Um, well, this week, you'll get your wish. Uh, faithfulness is not the type of faithfulness you and I would normally think of when we look at that word. As a matter of fact, just to give you some insight into how We prepare sermons around here. We typically know what we're going to be teaching on weeks and sometimes months in advance. We set up our series that way. Sometimes we set them up around what we're going through as a church. If we see a lot of different um, prayer requests come in over a certain topic, we'll say, hey, let's teach on that for a while. And basically we teach on it until we get bored with it and then we move on. Um, And so what will happen is, I'll know I'm preaching on something weeks in advance, and so I'll just kind of keep my eyes and ears open to see if there's any good examples or I I see something going on. And so when it came to faithfulness, I I already had an idea of what I was going to talk about. Then what happens is after that happens, then we actually get into the Word, and that trumps everything. So no matter what you were going to talk about, if it does, the, we, we have a saying around here that the Word always wins, the Bible always wins. So if all of a sudden I'm going to teach on something and the Bible doesn't say what I want it to say, I have to change what I was going to say, right? That's what happened this week. See, as you go through this, what happens is we read the text and we read it in context. We go back chapters. We go forward chapters. We try to get an idea. We do some historical work to try to figure out what was happening at the time. Uh, What is the author really trying to say? Who who was he trying to say it to? And then we look at the original language and try to get some insight into that. It's very simple. It only takes like 15 minutes. Anyway, uh, so when I got to this word faithfulness, I was expecting something like faithfulness, like plotting through something you had already said yes to, you know, so like you say you're going to volunteer for something, and then you wake up that morning, and you don't really want to do it anymore, and you're like, why did I ever volunteer for that, but I'm going to go ahead and be faithful because I said I was going to do it, and so now I'm going to do it, you know, that that, kind of gives its, you know, I married him, (laughs) okay, he didn't turn out to have quite, you know, uh, he wasn't quite that great, but hey. I'm going to be faithful. You know, just that long drawn out thing. The, the, The problem is the Bible, this particular word, is nothing about that. The word for this is faith. That's the word. It's not faithfulness, it's faith. As a matter of fact, I don't know why the translators did it this way, because 200 and about 30 times in the New Testament, when that word shows up, the Greek word is pistis, and you can giggle about that on the way home. Uh, But that's the Greek word. Every place it's used in the New Testament, and the New Testament is pregnant with that word, faith is what's in there. Now, if that's the case, then this is kind of scary. That that from a normal, healthy Christian, that what would be displayed as fruit is faith. Because this word carries with it a lot of stuff. As a matter of fact, um, the Bible says we live by faith, not by sight. Paul talked about many times, he talked about kind of being in almost a pool. Of, like we, we, If you're in the faith, that there's a perspective or an outlook of what life would look like if you're part of this faith. It's a very, very heavy word, and it carries with it a lot of stuff. As a matter of fact... Jesus, on several times, if you, you know, Jesus would, would see people acting in faith and would stop everybody. Like one time, he was, he was coming into Capernaum, and there was a centurion guard that was there, and I don't have time to get into all the history of what's going on. He's just a leader, and, and his, his, uh, one of his servants was sick. And he comes up to Jesus, and Jesus says this. He goes, do you want me to heal him? And the centurion servant goes, now you don't need to show up at my house. I, I'm not even worthy to have you come in my house. Just, just go ahead and say it. Just say that he's healed and he'll be healed. I, and, and this is, so, this is, this is why you've got to read your Bible. There's so much fun stuff in there. Jesus, okay, who came down, who was God, it says he was amazed. Somebody amazed Jesus. <laughs> like, how do you do that, right? There was a widow... Didn't even know Jesus was in there. She was at the temple, and she's giving money away. And Jesus is like, hey, hey, come here, come here, come here. here. You got to see this. You got to see this. Stops everything. Come here, come here, look. See this one? Her faith, she's giving just everything she has. This is incredible, you guys. And there's other things. There's Bartimaeus. There's uh, uh, the 10 lepers. uh, There's... Many people, he would say, oh, man, your faith, your faith, your faith. Faith is a big, big deal. And so if it's supposed to manifest itself in our lives as healthy Christians, what does it actually mean? Well, this morning, I'm hoping to challenge you because I believe that it's going to mean some life change for all of us. Because here's the thing that I know about faith. It almost always requires action. It's rarely just belief. And that action oftentimes is filled with risk. (laughs) That you're just having risky actions because of who God is. I wrote down a little definition that I liked uh, because I made it up. (laughs) But uh, here's what I put down as I was just simmering in this idea of faith. Because like I said, it's everywhere in the New Testament. And it's so full of stuff. And we'll look at a definition that's actually in the Bible, in Hebrews. But here's, here's what I have. Faith is centering our lives in who God is and what he says. That we would actually have who God is and what he says being the reason why we make our decisions, every decision, that faith is going, look, I'm not just going to believe in a God who provides. I'm going to act like he actually provides for me. I'm not going to believe in a God who loves me. I'm going to act as though he actually loves me. I'm going to plant my life in the center of who he is and what he says. Uh, one, one author I was reading uh, this week, uh, actually listening to him, he said, um, it's when you accept God's uh, character and his competency. Like like it's, not, it's just who he is and what he actually does. Um, and, 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 and so that's what I have. Faith is centering our lives in who God is and what he says. Um, and, and this all goes along that same verse I, we talked about a couple of verses after the fruit of the Spirit. This one. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step. With the Spirit. One way to to know if you're doing that is as you enter into certain circumstances, you ask yourself this question: Where is God in this? Is God am I in a place where God isn't at all? Like I probably shouldn't even be here. I need to turn around and go out the other door. Maybe. But you ask yourself, is God here? Because as Pastor Bob was talking about last week, a lot of what keeping in step with the Spirit is, is just doing what God is already doing, just being with God as he's working. And so as you get into an argument with one of your kids or your spouse or somebody at work or what have you, not that that would ever happen, but if it did, uh, you ask yourself, where's God in this? What would God have me do? If I'm going to center my life into his character and who, what he, what he says, what, what do I need to be doing right now to keep in step with him? Do I need to be quiet? Do I need to bring forgiveness? What what do I need to do to keep in step with him? That to me, that that sphere is what faith is to me. And what I want to do is I want to look at a couple sections of scripture this morning. One is um, Jesus's brother, Jesus's half-brother, James, uh, wrote a book that we call James. Yes, very, very we're just incredible, us Christians. Uh, yes, James. Uh, it's called James, and so um, uh, and 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 I like to joke about James because James feels ADD to me when I read his writing, and so I fit it, it fits in really well with who I am. Um, but he gets into this thing, this really strong language about kind of pressing back about, okay, you're a Christian, like you have these beliefs, well. Let me tell you where the rubber meets the road in this faith that you proclaim. And here, we're in James chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, And it's going to feel like we're just jumping into something, and we kind of are, um, if if you read James all the way through. He says this, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, it's dead. One of your translations might say, uh, faith without works uh, is useless, or faith without works is dead, you know, depending on on where it is. that, That there's something about faith that is going to drive us to certain actions as we see who God is and what he says. Now, this is great to say, and it's like, oh man, that's awesome, really hard to do. Some of us, even right now in our lives, are in a place where we might feel like God is calling us to take what we would call a step of faith. When you're trying to keep in step with the Spirit, and he, you know where he's going, and now you're like, eh, I don't know if I want to follow that. This might show up in your work, where in your industry, everybody does deals like that. Matter of fact, so much so that it's really not cheating because everybody does that. And there's something stirring in you that says, I got to do the right thing. You know, and it 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 might be at school. Everyone talks like that at your school. Everyone. It's almost like they're not even, it's not even foul language because it's just so common. And yet there's something stirring in you going, you know what, if you're going to keep in step with the Spirit, you have to change your, your language. For some of us, it's how we earn, save, give, and spend our money. That, 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 that there's just something in there where we just know, okay, if I'm going to keep in step with the Spirit, those, some of those steps will be steps of faith. And so what Paul, I mean, I'm sorry, what um, James is saying is, it's great to believe in a great God. That's awesome. And have your theology down and all that kind of stuff. But faith that's not accompanied by actions is dead. He goes on. He gets a little snarky with people who push back. And he, basically he says, um, you know, oh, you got great faith? Go ahead and show me. I'll show you mine by what I do. You know, and, 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 and then he goes on to hear uh, verse 19. He says, uh, you believe that there is one God. Good. And this is James' way of giving a slow clap, you know. Wow, great job, you know? And then he says, even the demons believe that. Oh, and they shudder, like they really believe it better than we do. Like, you know what I mean? He's getting really... um, I've never liked James. He's kind of a a mean individual. And he goes on. He gets even snarkier in verse 20. We won't go through it. But basically, he's like, you want some proof that this is true? And he goes to uh, what somebody in that culture would think is proof, Abraham. He says... Was was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac at the altar? In other words, there's going to come a time, guys, in all of our lives, and and, and it might even come this afternoon for you. It might come this week for you, where your faith is going to get married to a decision. I'll I'll tell you where this came up with me. I've told this story before, but I want to give you a little more insight into it. Um, and just as a warning, I'm going to be talking about money, so I'll close my eyes, and anyone who wants to leave can leave, and then I'll open them, and it'll be fine. Um, but, uh, I've mentioned this, this story before, not so much as it results to this idea of faith, but as it results to, to giving. Um, you know, right out of, right out of college, got married, uh, bought a house way too soon in a market that was not ready for my financial awesomeness, and uh, began just riding that thing down like a roller coaster, you know. And interest rates are going up, housing prices going down, and um, I had basically da- it came down to my tithe check or my rent, my mortgage payment. That's that's what we came down to, just as a family, um, and so that's we were that's where we found ourselves. Now here's the thing. I knew, I believed that God provided for me. I believed that. I believed that, uh, to quote an Old Testament verse, he owned the cattle on a thousand hills. I believed that his streets were paved with gold. I believed that he loved me. I believed that he died for me. Um, But my theology betrayed me, and that I also believed that he could see me through anything, right? Isn't that the worst? I hate that theology. Like, he loves you. He cares for you. Oh, and he can see you through anything. You're like, wait, anything? You're like, yeah, anything. Wait, that means it's not going to go great for me. Maybe not, but don't worry. He'll see you through it. Um, Yeah, so I knew that. And so that's where my faith rested. And And I tried bargaining with God. I remember, I'm like, hey, if you could just float me a couple months with the tithe, like it was like cash call, you know, like I, I, I call, you know, just, just for a few months and I'll pay it back. I was, I, I was actually telling God, I will pay the tithe, just, I just need to get, shift some things around and get through some stuff, and, and for those of you who are new to Christianity, tithe is just, you t- give 10% of your money back to God. So, so, um, so I did the cash call thing, I wasn't getting really that great a response back uh, for that idea, which I thought was brilliant. Um. So I decided to write the tithe check, okay? So that, that was the thing. Now, now, I've told that story before. But what I've never said is how it all went down for my faith. So I've got this, this belief and this, I knew a lot of verses and I knew my Heavenly Father, but he was bringing me to this thing that made me have to do something to realize the faith. And so, I wrote that check. And, and our church, uh, back in the day, we actually passed a, a, a thing around. Um, and so, uh, I remember having that check, and the basket comes by, and I'm like, well, there goes my house. <laughs> I just say goodbye. You know, nice, nice knowing you, right? Now, here's the thing. At that moment, something was released in me. Like at that moment, the moment I watched the check disappear into the abyss of the basket. (laughs) It was like, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. You could have had a sheriff at my front door right there going, sorry, buddy. We packed up all your stuff. Here's how James puts it. Watch this. So he says, later Abraham gathered, considered righteousness for what he did. He didn't offer uh, Isaac on the altar. Watch. Watch this. You see that his faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. I had to obey to experience what it feels like. To completely trust my heavenly father. Wouldn't you have rather have had that feeling earlier? Like wouldn't it have made the decision easier? If it's like, boy, Lord, I don't know, you know, if I should, which I should do. And you're just like, oh, it'll be fine. You just start writing checks and go. There's something about faith and action that comes together. They're working together that God is pleased with when he sees it happen. Now, I'm not saying I'm the best Christian in the world because of it. There's been many, many things I knew for a fact Jesus told me to do that I did not do. There's many things he told me not to do that I did, okay? All I'm telling you is that I experienced a release of the bondage of money in a way that would never have happened, because I knew if I had made the decision to go the other way, I would have been chasing money the rest of my life. I watch people do it all the time. And God broke that. So uh, uh, he he, moved, he goes on in verse 22. Basically, he says, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. you got to put it into action. So from there, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, and go into um, Hebrews chapter 11. Now, anyone who's been a Christian for a very long time, when I start talking about faith, you, if you've been to Sunday school, you know this as the faith chapter. You were waiting for me to get to Hebrews chapter 11. Like, when you heard my, my definition, you're like, that's not what Hebrews chapter 11 said. You, know, you were like that. We're getting there. Trust me. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. This is how the writer of Hebrews defines faith. Faith is the confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Now, you would think that that would trump my definition, right? Because it says, hey, John, that definition's in Hebrews and it doesn't say anything about doing. That's because the entire rest of the chapter. That's all it talks about, okay? That this idea that faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see, we can sense that in all different areas of our life as we mature in our faith. As a matter of fact, just in this group here, as I look out, there's some of you who are new to the faith, and you understand this. There are parts about Christianity, parts about Jesus, parts about the Bible, you can't necessarily defend all the way, but you just go, man, there's just something. I'm just, dis- I, I, this is right. This is right. Like, I, I love the, I don't know, we've had a, several people here who've come to me and said in, no, in a kind of different terms, like, I think I believe in Jesus. Like, how do you think, you either do or you, like, what, what is that? But that's what this is. There, there's a sense of, like, I can't explain it all. I don't, I don't have it all. And And what the Bible says is, yes, 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 that is correct. Congratulations. You are not less than because of that. But the Bible and your Heavenly Father do not want you to stay there. And so it says, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then the writer of Hebrews just goes into this laundry list of people who acted on that faith who actually did something that that faith is in fact action and usually it's action with something risky so he goes on and first he talks about um, uh, Abel he talks about creation he talks about Enoch we don't have time to get into all that Um, and and, and, uh, so from verses 3 to 5 he kind of touches on that and then in verse 6 He says something, and this is why I I was so um, almost happy to talk about this, or happy that my idea of faithfulness was wrong and the Bible's was right. Because he says something in verse 6 that almost, um, if it's true, it's really serious for us. If If this is true, we might have to rethink how we're living. We might have to rethink how, we're, how we face decisions. Here's what he says in verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, when I think of, I don't know how you read your Bible. I'm a pastor. I still question everything I read. I want to know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of uh, always pushing back on the Bible, trying to figure stuff out. And so on this, I'm like, no. Because, like, if I save a baby from a train, right, God loves babies. That had to have pleased him, whether I did it in faith or not. God likes puppies. I fed a puppy. Okay? I mean, that, he's got to be like, oh, you didn't do it in faith. But, I mean, doesn't it seem right that, that that, doesn't this seem too harsh, I guess is what I'm saying? Not when you understand the heart of your heavenly father. What God wants from you more than anything of what you do is a relationship with you, okay? What what, what God, you know, it's kind of like having a kid who does all their chores, right, but doesn't love you at all. You know, like, wouldn't you rather have the kid who loves you and didn't do... Keep doing your chores. Uh, anyway, but wouldn't you like like you see what I'm saying? It's a bad example, but um, uh, it, there's this idea that God is like, man. Yes, all those things are great. Yes, you're you're helping that. You're doing that right. That, but what would please me is a relationship with me. That relationship is found in faith. That's how we go. As a matter of fact, the Bible in several places says it's by grace that you're saved. In other words, you have this relationship with God through faith. In other words, you're never going to have this idea. Uh, you're never going to be able to prove it. That there's this relationship that we trust, a Heavenly Father that we cannot see. It's the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not yet seen. That this is and without that faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, why is that? Well, fortunately, the writer keeps going, and he says this, because anyone... Who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Those who come to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. That's when we begin to please God. So here's how it works in our own life. And this is why this this whole topic of faith is so confrontational. Because we're going to get to certain areas of our life where we know our life doesn't match up with who he is. And we're going to have to make a decision. And that decision is going to be risky. And it's going to be hard oftentimes. But if we believe he is who he is, and we believe that he says what he says, and that he will provide, that he will protect, that he will see us through it, we can have the ability to make some of these decisions, some of the decisions we're even thinking about right now. Let me show you some of the decisions that were made in Hebrews chapter 11. Real quick, I'm just going to read, I won't read the whole thing. Um, I'm actually going to start in verse 30. That's how much um, the writer of Hebrews wants us to get across that, that our faith manifests itself in stuff that we do, okay? Uh, verse 30. Um, let's see, 1230. Here's what it says. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm in 11. There we go. Okay. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. That Again, sometimes we can skip over this stuff, but at day four, wouldn't you be just kind of going, okay, guys, this is, This isn't working, you know. See how faith kind of, we'll talk about it in a little bit, how faith goes against time, right? But just that, just one sentence there is just, I found that comical. Seven days. I would have been gone by day two. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I mean, you know, he's he's already gone 31 verses on it. I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, About David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. Now, right now, you should be thinking, this faith thing does work out pretty well, Yeah, I shut the mouths of lions, getting away from flames. People are coming back from the dead. It's like, me likey. Until the next uh, verse. There were others, you know, there should be a parenthetical statement, you know, unfortunately. Right? There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain even a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The whole world is not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and holes in the ground. They were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that... Only together with us, they would be made perfect. So there's a sense that right now what, what, what the writer's trying to do is he's taking all these people, which he calls the ancients, and he's saying, do you see what they did? This is for you to help you move forward in whatever situation you've got to make that decision. Whether it's the friends you hang out with, how you use your body, how you use your finances, how you uh, operate life, that that this is all the culmination. It says, God God did this for us, that we might become perfect together. Now, watch what happens. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, in other words, therefore, since I've presented you a case that these people were actually sawn into, and right now they're stoked about it, Okay, that's kind of how he's setting it up. He goes on to talk about what we're going to face when we have to make these decisions. And so I'm just going to give it to you what you're going to confront this week when you, when you are trying to keep in step with the Spirit and you say, I'm going to live by faith. And all of a sudden a decision comes and you know, because I know who God is, and because I know my tendencies, I know I'm going to have to make a difficult decision right now. Here's what you're going to face. The first thing you're going to face... Uh, Three things. There's more, but we don't have time to go into them all. We're only looking at one uh, couple verses here. The first thing you're going to face is fear. You just are, <laughs> okay? And here's the thing about fear. If you're waiting for your fear to go away before you make a decision, you will never make that decision because it's not going away. Why is it not going away? Because the decision's hard, <laughs> whatever it is. You might have to make a decision To come clean with something, that fear is not going away, because when you have to come clean, you you, just—it's risk. You might have to uh, stop a relationship right now. That fear is not going away. It's—it's going to be there. I'm just telling you, you're going to confront it. Don't allow the fear to stop you from stepping into God's will for your life. You might have a fear of losing some friends. Because you've always run with those people, and everything was fine, and every Friday night it was always this way, and all of a sudden there's just something churning to you going, I'm not keeping in step with the Spirit, and I want to be someone who lives by faith, and so you're going to have to go and talk to those people. You know what, I, I, uh, what it seems like to me? Have you ever, uh, I don't know if everyone in here, I would imagine everybody's jumped off a high dive at some point in their life, okay? So maybe not, maybe you're just like, no, I'll never do that, Okay? But, but here's how it works when you're about ready to jump off a high dive. You, 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 you know, you first get the confidence to just climb up there. So you're like, you know what? And it usually looks like something like that. I'm going to do it. So you climb, 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 and you get to the top, and you're like, wow, this is, it always looks higher up there, doesn't it, than it, than it does down, down there. So you're like, that's the first realization. Wow, I'm more scared than I was before, okay? And so the first realization. And, and so then you, then it's just like one on either side of the thing, and you, you know, you do the, uh, the penguin walk out to the edge, and you look down, and it's like, it's way, this is crazy, so, but now you can you don't want to turn around, because that's scary, so you're just tr- trying to figure out. All the losers down on the bottom are going, jump, 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 because they're not risking anything, <laughs> Right. They're just yelling out, jump, we don't care. You know, we're going to drain the pool and watch you splat on the bottom. You know, it's like, it's like, who cares? They don't care. And so there you go. And then you have a series of those things where inside you're like, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And then you just do that. You're like, oh, I can't. Sometimes you'll do this. Oh, I can't do it. Like that. That's what faith feels like. You know it. You know, you know if I could just step into this, my relationship with God is going to progress. It's going to be, go further. I'll, I'll get used to it, and I'll start doing backflips and all this kind of stuff. I know that. But right now, I have to step off a very safe place into a place that is unforeseen for me. You will face fear. Here's what he says about that. For fear, let us throw off everything that hinders. In other words, there's going to have to come a time where you just jump. The fear will still be there. But you have to just put it behind you and say, this is where I want to go with my heavenly father. And then it's interesting, he adds to. And the sin which so easily entangles, because you all know, as I do, even though you make a step of faith, you're always going to be drawn back into what your flesh or what your routine has been. And so, so it's just that constant, nope, nope, I'm not, I'm not doing that. So that's the first thing you're going to run into. The second thing you're going to run into is time. Time is a killer for faith. Just like we write about with the, the going around Jericho, I'm sure they all put on their armor and they had their pots and pans and all that kind of stuff. And like two hours into it, they're like, this is awesome, man. I feel like we're doing something for God. And then evening comes and day two and day three. And you're like, you start thinking to yourself, you know, God could have just done this already. (laughs) Like, why do we have to march around for seven days? And you begin to question it. Maybe, maybe he's not really listening. Maybe, uh... Uh, at that point, it wasn't uh, Moses. It was uh, Joseph or whatever. I can't, sorry. Anyway, but at that point, you're like, Man, maybe we should get Moses back. Moses probably wouldn't have his job. But, but time, and, and you're going to find that too. You might find that God is calling you to a life of purity in your life or, or, or a life of changing some habits. And now you're thinking, now you're in your late 20s, early 30s, and you're thinking, no, 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 this was such a good idea because I'm still alone. Like where where is he? Maybe you're at school and you're like, you know what, I'm not gonna hang around with those guys or girls anymore. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna make it. And you know, after six months, you're like, hey Lord, how about a friend? Okay? Maybe just somebody. Maybe not, you know, because now you're you're isolated. And time is gonna hurt when it comes to faith. Here's what the writer of Paul says, as he moves on, and he says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Maybe the race that God has marked out for you does have some seasons of loneliness in it. Maybe it does have some dry spots. Maybe there are some inclines that just feel harder than they should, but it's all for our good. It's all to build us up. It's all to build up our faith. It's all to bring us closer to him. And that's why he says, run with perseverance. The third thing that you're going to run into, because you just will, is culture. That, you know, in just a lot of ways, just to be honest, it's weird being a Christian. Okay? I mean, it's just... There's just weird parts of it, and it's going to go contrary to people who don't believe that. We believe by faith, and so because it's faith, it's going to be hard for people to accept sometimes, and your decisions on keeping in step with the Spirit are sometimes going to feel like, I just feel kind of weird. And so what tends to happen for us is that we, we look at culture and we try to figure out, well... Maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this, or maybe. And so we start to try to m- mix it all up. And this is why I love how, how the writer of Hebrews continues on this thing. So he says, run with perseverance, the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. <laughs> Forget about culture. That's going to go. It's going to go its way, okay? It might change to the right. It might change to the left. It might become more moral, less moral, whatever. Fix your eyes on Jesus. What would Jesus do right now? What, what is Jesus all about? And then it's interesting that he's called the author and perfecter of our faith, or in this particular version, the pioneer and perfecter. In other words, I love that language, that he went first. Right? Jesus led a sinless life first. He was the pioneer of what it looks like to discover that close of a relationship with your heavenly father. He was the pioneer, and then he's the perfecter of our faith he says, look, you can do it. He's there cheering on. And so culture then just becomes background noise. We were like, okay, whatever they're doing, I don't know, but I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it goes on, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And watch this encouraging language that ends at the end of chapter 12, I mean, chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know what that tells me? that tells me that acts of faith, because faith is action, and that action normally involves risk, that there's an, the Bible acknowledges that. It knows about that. We were, that we weren't promised that our life in Christ was going to work out with bunny rabbits and, you know, lots of money. It, it just doesn't work that way. But he said, man, Jesus did it. As Audra comes back up, we're going to take just a little bit of time to connect with what Jesus did uh, with communion. That as the author and perfecter of our faith, he had to make some decisions. And you can read about a lot of those decisions in the Gospels. The one we take, uh, we take the longest look at is the decision to die. The decision to uh, be a sacrifice for our sins. And so when we take communion, and everyone's invited to take it, um, uh, it's that when we, we're ready to make this step, to go, look, I don't understand everything about communion. I don't understand all this kind of stuff. But I, I think I'm ready to identify with Christ. I think I'm ready to fix my eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And so you might be in a, a spot where you just say, no, you know what, I'm, I'm not ready to identify with that. And so you don't take communion. But if you are, uh, here's what I'd ask you to do. Some, some people come to the altar and this is where they have communion and it's just an act of submission and, and an act of like, no, I'm going to, I'm just, I want to be at a quieter time. And then that's totally fine. Other people go back to their chairs or whatever. But I, I'd, I'd ask this question. As you're taking communion, Lord, is there a place I need to risk? Not just for risk's sake. It's not that harder equals better, you know. Like, the worse I can make my life, the more God will love me. It's not none of that. It's that. Is there a part where I'm lagging just a little bit behind you? I know you want me to be a little more faithful or a little more risky in this particular area of my life, but I'm not pulling the trigger yet. Is there a spot there? Knowing... God, you probably already know what that is, um, but maybe not. Maybe you just sit with the Lord and, he, and you hear from Him, and He says, "You know what? This this particular area, I want you to I want you to make some some other decisions that you don't know necessarily the outcome. But if but the ushers would come forward, they're going to take everything to the sides um, of the church. And so, when you're ready, Ajwa is going to be playing a song. Whenever you're ready, just come up and uh, you can grab. That there, the, the general idea is that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the biggest risk of all of not trying to stop his own death. And uh, he took the bread, which we have as wafers, and he, he took it and he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body, which has been broken for you. Whenever you take need of it, remember me. And then he took the cup and uh, we have juice cups that represent that, and he took that, and he blessed it, and he said, this is my blood that has been poured out for the remission of your sins, whenever you take and drink of this, remember me. And so my prayer is that during this time, as we take communion, and maybe fill out our connection cards, or prepare our tithe, or whatever, that we would hear from God, and that, that communion would be just another step of, hey, I'm ready to take this risky step even though the fear has not left. Let me pray for us. Lord, I pray that you'd give us courage to follow through with what you would call us to do. We thank you that you paved the way. You are the pioneer of our faith. And so, Lord, as we begin to follow you into that, into the unknown, Lord, I pray that you'd give us the strength to complete uh, the race that you marked out before us. In Jesus' name, amen.